we can't separate which traits have to go together and which ones don't. And then I guess the question of like, if it were more, if you thought of it more a la carte, as opposed to like, if I take these feminine traits, it means I'm not masculine anymore. But instead, if you're like, let me just look at all the options on the menu and pick the ones that will make me the best person. Isn't that what we tell people to do in relationships in general? <laughs> right? Same kind so of thing. All, it all comes together here. Yes, indeed. <laughs> if you're happy with the same old ways of dating... If you enjoy sucking at communication... And you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships... Broaden your sexual horizons... Develop a better understanding of yourself... Or learn more about non-monogamy... Then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we're talking about positive masculinity. Now, masculinity is something that's been requested quite a bit of us. And it's also a tricky subject to talk about. For some people, it's fundamental to their identity and needs to be defended. And to others, it's something destructive that needs to be eliminated or minimized. Some find it an impossible standard for themselves to live up to, and others find it difficult to even talk about at all. Hmm. Now, Jace, this is a subject that's near and dear to your heart. Yeah. Is, it, is it because you identify as a dude? Uh, it's because I was raised as a dude and identify as a man and yet have struggled with all the different sides of that, right? Of, of, I feel like I've been through all of those different things of feeling like, you know, masculinity is something that, that does need to be stood up for sometimes or other times I've been like, nope, actually let's do away with it entirely. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And other times feeling challenged by it and other times feeling challenged to try to not be it as much as possible and just the whole range. Right. Yeah. I was out to dinner with my partner and two friends last night and, or another, another heterosexual couple, I guess. Yeah. Uh And they, uh, my partner and they both identify as men and they were talking, I guess, about just like the idea of what it means to be a man. And mm-hmm. yeah, my friend was like, I don't even like identifying as a man. I, I usually identify like as a dude or a guy just because like the <laughs> connotation around man and being a man, like, you know, be a man or whatever is so difficult and hard to kind of come to terms with. And it does, mm. uh, especially in this day and age, sometimes have really negative connotations that go along with that. So it's understandable that for a lot of people, this is a really challenging subject. Yeah, it was something for me, like in college was the first time that I sort of encountered that this was a thing that people studied at all. Mm. Um, Interestingly, as sort of a subset of the women's studies department, because there isn't a men's studies department. um, And it was like learning about it was fascinating just the fact that there are people who write academic books about this and things and to me that was mind-blowing at the time uh and reading some of it and being you know incredibly upset by a lot of it um what was upsetting yeah what were the things that are most upsetting to you um just kind of it, it was the first time i guess that the way masculinity is taught to boys and and was taught to myself was kind of sort of spelled out and, mm. and some of the just really fucked up stuff was pointed out to me and it was just like, oh gosh, uh, just kind of the ways that, um, you know, like sexual domination or violence or control of others and things like that, like the way that those were kind of glorified or specifically as ways to kind of restore your masculinity. If you feel like it's being threatened mm. or if you feel insecure about it, that, that were sort of given like, oh, the solution to that is to have sex or be violent to someone yeah. or maybe both at the same time. Um, and this was one particular author who, who um, you know, took a very strong stance on this. But for me at the time was very shocking and I hadn't looked at it that way or considered it that way. Um, and it's really interesting then doing research for this episode and kind of hearing about how like the study has changed over time and different ways that people have tried to approach this topic. 
Yeah. So I find that like the study itself is really fascinating, you know, because it's like we can, we can on the lay person level, as it were, you know, the, the level that we're talking at all the time, because we're not technically scientists, (laughs) not yet. Not yet. You know, we can sit here and just like, you know, shoot the shit and talk about all our opinions and throw our thoughts Mm -hmm. and feelings around about masculinity. But separate from that, like the actual academic study of masculinity is something that's been happening for much longer than I realize since about Mm. the mid 1900s, about 1930 is where you put it, Jace. Yeah, at least that was kind of a an era when that started being studied as kind of an independent thing, Um, at least as far as as I understand Okay, I got it. So basically, the idea is that from about 1930 up until 1980, masculinity was studied under something known as the GRIP model. Which seems very yeah, intense and maybe masculine, like just something (laughs) gripping on to something else. I suppose, yeah. Yeah, they weren't going to call. Oh, never mind. That was going to be a, a joke that made no sense. So I'm not going to tell it. Okay, <laughs> so the GRIP model, which stands for the gender role identity paradigm, which basically defines that like healthy development of yourself as a human being and also having good emotional well-being was tied to adhering to the to the gender roles that society was was holding basically this idea of, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Jace, but my understanding mm-hmm. of this is that it's, you know, your way back to well-being is to live up to expectations of your gender, mm. you know? So yeah. if your man is like seeking that very masculine path of being the breadwinner and being the sole provider and being the head of the family and doing sports ball things right that's good because you're a man and so to fall in line with that that's good for you and and being self-sufficient yeah and i I, the impression i got to was that it wasn't even like your path to well-being is to adhere more to your gender role but instead like that gender role wasn't really questioned at all and instead Mm, it's just like to be more healthy become more normal which Mm. is these things Mm. if you're a man and these things if you're a woman well, right. and, and and that also during this time, as is is the case with a lot of things, but kind of studying men in the like in the field of psychology, studying men was more just like considered studying just normal humans and women right. were sort of the different thing. Hmm. Right. And, right. And that, and well, then, that's been a holdover for a long time. Right. Like men is man is the default body. It's the default right. psychology. It's right. the default word for human beings. Yeah. Right. And women are the outliers. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Okay. So that's that's grip. Uh, then <laughs> post nineteen eighty, then came uh, what I'm going to call the grasp. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. You're right. You're yeah. right. Okay. Grip and grasp. So <laughs> yes. gently. Or <laughs> intensely. <laughs> well, I'm kind of sneaking a little sneaky A into there. There's not supposed Gersp. to be an A. It's it's GRSP, so more of a GERSP. Um, and that stands for Gender Role Strain Paradigm. Hmm. And that was proposed in 1981. And that focused more on the damaging and restrictive aspects of male socialization. So I feel like it's kind of like the first time that we're starting to look at, oh, maybe these things that we've told everyone is normal are actually causing some damage that we're not aware of. Yeah. Yeah. And this is definitely like the paradigm under which those books I was reading in college were written. Right. Interesting. Okay. Which, you know, was very much this sort of like, let's look at how damaging and toxic the socialization is for men. Hmm. Right. It's kind of Mm -hmm. uh, looking at like the pathology of it. Yeah. And that's still around today. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Still, still very active today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then in the mid to late 2000s, there was a group of psychologists that proposed the, what am I going to call this one? The Pipopums. The Pipopum. It's P-P-P-M. That's the best I got. But anyway, that stands for Positive Psychology, Positive Masculinity Paradigm. Oh, so there's actually another P on the end there. Wow, there's P-P-P-M-P. Yeah, the PPPMP, yeah, the P cubed MP. Yeah. Uh, so what's that all about? <laughs> right. So 
You may remember from, gosh, it's been a while now, several episodes back, we talked about positive psychology and that field. And this is basically a study of masculinity that has come from the field of positive psychology, as opposed to the more like traditional psychology, more studies pathologies and studies problems. Whereas the efforts of positive psychology is like, well, what if instead we look at studying what does healthy functioning people look like? You know, what does that look like? And how can we find ways to help people do more of that rather than just looking at these sort of acute problems that the pathologies, right? Yeah, yeah. pathologizing masculinity, sure. So yeah, kind of like so, a working backwards. Yeah, right, right. And this this goes back even before the term positive psychology existed. To I think Maslow was one of the kind of founders of this idea of like, hey, what if we studied healthy people to try to figure out what even healthy looks like? Because we mm. don't. It's not something that's really been codified and looked mm. at before that. And then you know, positive psychology is still very active today um, and has has been shown to be very helpful in a lot of fields. But this thing in the mid to late two thousands was essentially a group of psychologists within positive psychology saying, "Hey, what if we applied this to masculinity too? Like, what? I like that. Let's try to figure out." What's the positive parts of masculinity? What does healthy masculinity look like? And how can we encourage that, teach that, things like that? So as the resident man in the room, I suppose, <laughs> I, I guess it, it, probably both Dedeker and I are wondering, like, why is all this really important to study? Because, I mean, I get it. I get that it is important to kind of change the narrative around what masculine thinking is or like what people think of as masculinity and what healthy masculinity is, but like, why would you think that this is an important thing to study? Well, I'm actually going to turn this question over to someone else. Uh, I'm not going to answer it. And I'm going to say someone else's. Yeah. uh, So a while ago, actually, like about a year ago, I um, started doing interviews with men talking about masculinity. Um, And one of the people that I talked to is Professor Jonathan Brandman, who I read about from a couple different articles that were written, one very positive and one very scathing. Whoa. About a course he was teaching about sort of the problems of masculinity, um, right? That being attacked by the red right, pillars, right wing pundits and red pillars and Ugh. stuff that he's destroying masculinity and being praised by other people for doing this class. And, um, but something that I did talk to him about was this question. Mm. Um, And I just wanted to play his answer to this section. And then I think in the bonus episode for this episode, uh, for our patrons, we're going to play some more from this interview with him. And we're going to talk about that a little more. But let me just play his answer to that question. So that is the most common critique of feminist masculinity studies that like every book you'll ever read in feminist masculinity studies starts with, I know that some readers in the field of feminist studies are going to think this topic shouldn't be talked about at all. And here's why we think it should. Um, And like beliefs about masculinity exist and shape people's behavior. And how could we possibly change the system of gender inequality and violence if we don't address people's beliefs about their bodies. Like if we don't acknowledge that little boys grow up watching kiss the girl and the little mermaid, how are we going to change that behavior? And to the parent in the audience who said, I don't tell my child about masculinity. I want to say like, sorry to burst your bubble, but the entire rest of the world is telling your child about masculinity. And you may even be in ways that you don't even recognize from like what toys you give them to what shows you turn on the TV for them. Um, And What I find fascinating about this claim that we are glorifying masculinity by analyzing it is that it's the mirror image of the claim from Fox News that my class was supposedly villainizing masculinity. Um, And I think, how to put this? Yeah, ideas about masculinity exist. They really shape people's lives, all of our lives. Um, And I believe we can't, dismantle these systems of inequality and these harmful ideas unless we acknowledge them and talk about them. And as a very, what's the right word? Maybe this is a funny metaphor, but we've all studied histories of time periods that were really bad and um, hopefully studied them with the intent of not repeating those mistakes. It wasn't like, oh, this was so great. 
Um, so I think we can study and speak about masculinity without, with the intention of challenging masculinity. So, yeah, it's, it's that. It's that it would be, it, it's kind of like magical thinking to just think, oh, if we just stop talking about this thing and stop ta- thinking about this thing, it'll just go away. It would be like saying, you know, oh, I've noticed that there's these um, potentially harmful traits that we're taught as Americans in our mm. culture, and I'm just going to not talk about them and ignore them and hope that they go away. Like, I don't feel like that's... Um, you know, that's not really a helpful thing for anybody. That's really interesting because that reminds me of, I've seen some rhetoric going around, particularly on the more conservative side of things, um, of a kind of people making an argument of like, oh, well, we're post-racial now. And so we need to stop talking about it. Like, because talking about racism is what's keeping it alive. You know, we got to just like mm. move on and, and stop talking about it. And I've seen people make the same argument about sexism of like, yeah, you know, no, now we're in a world where women have much more power. And like, if we just keep talking about it, it's just going to keep making it worse, which is such a weird argument. Um, yeah. It's like bury your head in the sand and don't think about it <sighs> kind of argument. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess it's, it's, um, I don't know, but it seems like that's kind of the same thing that maybe happens here with people who are more averse to talking about masculinity is that of kind of like, well, we don't want to give it any more power, you know, and so Mm -hmm. like just stop putting it in the limelight or stop focusing on it and then we'll be able to fix other problems that have cropped up around it, I suppose. Yeah. And like, as Jonathan pointed out, it's so funny that on the one side, you'll have people saying you're destroying masculinity by analyzing it and talking about it. Yeah. And then on the other side, you're saying you're glorifying it by talking about it or analyzing mm. it at all. Uh, right. So it, it is this kind of weird from an extreme on either side, you're essentially getting the same message, which is a little disturbing but the idea that like this is a class i'm i'm assuming for young people or this is a university class yeah okay so like maybe you know people in their 20s or whatever Mm -hmm. or um late teens but it just that idea that you are kind of teaching uh, a young person how to better analyze their own masculinity and analyze like what it means to be a man in a good more positive light i think that's huge and something that we still, as a society, don't necessarily teach people. I think possibly we're getting better at that, but um, to do it at a more academic level, I think is fantastic. So now we're going to talk about some studies related to kind of positive masculinity and how exactly we can, you know, study that further, I guess. So, okay, there was something in the Journal of Psychology of Men and Masculinities Basically, researchers, they surveyed 1,077 people. (laughs) Gotta be precise. I know, about what they thought it meant to be a good man. So they identified 79 potential positive masculine attributes and had its participants rate whether it was positive, whether it was typically expected of men, or whether it was typically expected of women, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So, okay, of the 79 attributes... All but three were strongly rated as positive, but more of them were expected of women, 36, than men, 32. 11 were gender neutral. That's interesting. Hang on. Sorry. I need to translate that into into English. So there were 79 attributes that they came up with in surveying people, asking them, what does it mean to be a good man? Yeah. Um, All but three of those attributes were positive. Okay. All of them were positive. But Except for three. more Except of those three. attributes were expected of women. More of these positive attributes were expected of women. 36 of, of them and 32 of them of men. And then 11 were gender neutral. Correct. Yes? Okay, yes. sorry. I just had so, to talk through that to understand it. No, you're and good. by gender neutral, they mean not strongly associated with, with either. With either. Okay. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, okay, their study author said that the present results suggest that some aspects of positive masculinity may reflect positive male role norms that are embedded in traditional aspects of masculinity, but represent more moderate expressions of those gendered qualities. What does that mean? I know. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) You're the one who did this research. What does it mean? Psychologist talk here, right? Uh Um, Yeah. I mean, essentially what they're saying is that that these things that they identified reflect positive male norms 
that are part of traditional masculinity. They're essentially saying like within traditional masculinity, we've identified these things which are positive. Mm -hmm. That's, that's also contained in that, right? Essentially they're saying they're, they're doing that. Like what is, what is their positive in masculinity? What does, what does a positive expression of masculinity look like? These are what we found. And then they, they say that they represent more moderate expressions of these gendered qualities. So what's interesting about the list of stuff that they came up with is that a lot of them are kind of followed with this caveat of like in moderation (laughs) or like with a good balance of this thing. Yeah. That's fascinating. Which, yeah. And we're going to go through this list and kind of talk about some of the things that they tried to come up with here uh, in a little bit, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. So does that imply that, okay, so they go and they find like, okay, these are what are considered to be the positive aspects of masculinity. Mm -hmm. But that seems to imply that it's like, yes, inherently there's a lot of positive things that we associate with masculinity, but it's when they go into the extreme that that's when they turn negative or that's when Mm. people perceive them to be negative. Because if they're giving that caveat of like, this this attribute, but with moderation. That's yeah, I'm that trying implies. to think. Well, what that would we'll, we'll get entail. to them specifically okay. in a second, okay. rather okay. than theorize about it right now. We have yeah. a list of these eleven things. You're like, we'll but get I want to, to theorize. it. Come I want on, to what were the th- what were the three bad ones? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question too. Yeah, um, and we might talk about that a little bit later on, uh, based on a different study that did identify negative associations people have with with male or females. Um. So anyway, what I thought was interesting about this, though, is that that the thing that they just sort of skipped over, I think, in their conclusions here is that they identified these 79 potential positive traits of masculinity after interviewing and surveying these people. And then when they did a study on those, they found out that actually the majority of those were actually more attributed to women than to men. Yeah, that's and I was so just like, that's interesting. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was it just made me kind of wonder about. It makes me wonder about the whole question I think we'll get to, which is yeah. like, what, what is po- Well, and also just like positivity in general, like what is positive? What is good? What is bad? Oh, now we're really going down I know, the I'm, hole. I'm sorry. It. I'm Who sorry. Who can say but yeah. what is good and what is bad? But, but, it, but, it all, but it almost like, it almost implies, and it, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it almost implies that just like women in general, like are... more positive or that they should be and that men it doesn't really matter because like you know they're gonna do these other things and it doesn't matter if they're positive or negative they just are and like they're great i don't know i don't think it's not like they took 79 generic words it's like they had already tried to pull this together from things that that the survey participants identified as positive traits of yeah or or just maybe of traits of masculinity but the more Um, but the more of them are expected of women expected of women okay we got to look at it okay yeah. okay we're gonna take a break but <laughs> all right we'll, we'll get to this in a second lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well there you have it you could get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com play for free right now are you feeling lucky no purchase necessary void prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details for a long time now we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy, or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. 
So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. All right. So we want to look at these 11 traits that or 11 adaptive and healthy characteristics of masculinity that was put together based on that study we talked about before, Mm -hmm. as well as many others. That is this one that the positive, the positive psychology, positive masculinity paradigm, the pum 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 pum, is uh, putting forth potentially as these 11 positive traits that do exist within traditional masculinity. So let's just go through these. I don't want to spend a ton of time on each one, but I do think this list is interesting. So yeah. let's just let's just dive in here. So the first one is male relational styles, which is about men developing intimacy with each other through shared activities and more action-oriented activities. That's such like, as sports, video games, whatever. I, I Sorry, mean, what, I, what? no, just it's so funny because like you and your best friend, Steve, like this is totally like what you would do. You would sit on the couch or even you and Eric, you would sit mm-hmm. there and like, you know, it play video games. And like, that's how y'all interact. Yeah. I'm sure uh, you yeah, do other things true. too. But like when I think of like y'all's interactions, that's what you do. Yeah. So, okay. So. I'm already, I know you didn't want to spend too much time on each one, <laughs> but I just already want to point out that it's like, okay, these are labeled as adaptive and healthy characteristics of masculinity. And I read that like male relational styles, that feels like a very neutral thing. I'm like, yeah, like, I, I don't know if I look at that and I'm inherently like, oh yes, it's a good thing to bond over video games. I mean, I mean, that's my is, personal opinion, obviously. That's my personal <laughs> opinion, but I mean, from an objective <laughs> standpoint, it's hard for me to be like, oh, clearly that is a positive thing in and of itself. That just feels like that's a description, you know? So I think that's interesting. Okay, let's move on to the next one. So male ways of caring, expectation to care for and protect loved ones. Action empathy is the ability to take action based on seeing things from another's point of view. Yeah, that's empathy. empathy. That's empathy, right? (laughs) I I love that it's almost like, let's rebrand empathy for men. We'll call it (laughs) action empathy. empathy. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That makes sense, though. I mean, it sounds really funny, but it totally makes sense. I feel like it really hits the nail on the head of... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like empathy is not something you do with your feelings. It's what you do with your actions. It's yeah, like that's the very right. masculine way of having empathy is, well, I'm going to stand up for the people that I care about or I'm yeah, going to protect the people that I care about. Mm-hmm. Yes. I hear really that so often from my partner being like, "You know, I want to I want to protect you. Like I want to be a protector." And it's like what does that mean? Like, do we need protection in this day and age? Well, I guess that's also another rabbit hole in which to fall down, but still. Boy, yeah, big yeah. question. Well, okay, and here's where we're getting into this idea of moderation, mm. where it's mm. like, on the one hand, okay, you're both like, mm. <laughs> that, right, on the one hand, we have where it's like, okay, yes, this is, again, this is a list of things contained within more traditional masculinity yeah. that are positive. This isn't saying like, this is what men should be, or this is what we, you know, this is just saying, these are the positive things that these researchers have identified. Yeah. I don't even agree with all of them, but that's what they're going for here. Yeah. But with this one, it is that fine line between what's the difference between action empathy and I want to protect you, which actually means control you Uh, or mm, belittle you uh or feel like I'm somehow superior to you. And so you need my protection. Sure. Right. It's, it's that moderation thing so yeah. it is that's and that's actually my issue with a lot of this list is a lot of it's like yeah you, you, there's like so many caveats there's that need to go line, with there's it a fine line. Uh, yeah. yeah yeah well okay so the next one is generative fatherhood good fathers what what's that no i'm kidding there's they're out there a lot of you out there are good fathers i'm sure or parents um foster positive emotional educational intellectual and social growth in efforts to lead the next generation toward a better life <laughs> all of these so, things are turning into an action movie i love it no but see, but of course it's you gotta brand in that it way. that way yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe that's telling 
And these, these, by the way, what we're reading after these are kind of my summaries, pulling little sections oh, I from, like what you wrote then. from their very, very long 21-page chapter oh, wow. on Gracious. this, right? So. so this is another one where I'm like, okay, great, yeah, generative fatherhood, but this also feels like a more neutral trait of like, this seems like what any parent, yeah, regardless of their gender, would yeah. want to do for their children. But again, I, I think the idea is... It's about like what are positive things that we can find within traditional masculinity, mm, not to mm-hmm. say this is something uniquely masculine. And I think okay. that's I see. Okay. That's right. part of the challenge. Because I, I had the same issue where I was like, you just described being a good parent. How's that mm-hmm. masculine? <laughs> yeah. It's more just like, hey, this is a thing contained within that. That we can associate. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it. All right. Now I'll put on that lens a little bit more. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Not, just, say, and not just give the same feedback with every single one. <laughs> but wait, wait, but wait. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. Okay, next one um, is male self-reliance. See, I, I hear this one a lot in terms of like masculine traits mm, that like, yeah. well, I'm self-reliant and that's a masculine mm, quality. Okay. Yeah. So the idea that this one also comes with a caveat of provided said masculine person is mm. able to take input from others, but ultimately uses his own resources to confront life's challenges, including how he can use his own self-reliance to help other people in need. And I guess employ some more of that action empathy that I've heard so much about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I do feel like this one, like Emily said, is this is one that for me, I think gets associated more in the like, yes, we think of this one specifically for men. Mm. I don't think that's necessarily correct. And that's actually what bothered me a little bit about it being included in this list is that. I guess it worries me when you include some of these things in a list about masculinity because it feels like does that mean that other people don't have this? Yeah. And I know well, that Well, I I've, will yeah, say yeah. I will drop into that conversation that it's like okay, sure, maybe we associate self-reliance with masculinity, but we're also living in a culture where it is just straight up easier for a man to be self-reliant. It's True. easier for a man yeah. to live alone. It's yeah. easier for a man to support himself on his higher income, you know, the yeah. income that's going to be higher than what a solo woman is going to get. Um, so it becomes a little bit chicken and egg. I feel. Mm, Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, do we associate self-reliance with masculinity because it's just an easier pathway to self-reliance for most men? Yeah. I mean, something that they didn't, uh, I think we might get to a little bit more later. Um, but like that specifically being employed has been shown in studies to be, a huge factor in terms of how a man feels about his own masculinity, mm. which, so I think there's also kind of a dark side to this one yeah. of that, mm. that it, whenever you're not employed or if you're not able to be self-reliant, it's like, now I'm not a man. I'm, yeah. I'm less than right. So I, this one is one that I'm just a little bit cautious about. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, related to that, the next one is the worker provider tradition of men. So working helps him feel like a man, gives a sense of purpose and meaning and Mm -hmm. central to a male identity and self-esteem. That makes sense. I like to believe that that's changing a little bit, but it's, I think it's still very much. Those roots run deep though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember. Provider for sure. I hear a lot. I remember years ago, I was in a relationship at a time when I was super broke and really struggling financially. And I was in a relationship with a woman who was doing much better than me. And it was like a constant challenge for me, like an emotional challenge for me to be able to accept her paying for things and her generosity. And she was very generous and I'm very grateful to her. Um, but it was, it was really challenging. And I was aware of it at the time being like, I'm aware that I'm thinking of this in a very gendered way that's not necessarily true or healthy or anything, but it was still a challenge, even knowing that. Um, because this is like so ingrained in us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of related one, to, oh, to your sorry, story, related to your story that you shared, Emily, about your partner being like, I want to protect you. I want to be a protector. I had a partner once specifically. It was like, I want to be a provider. Yeah. Yeah. And totally. Yeah. I hear that too. I remember hearing that and, um, like it made sense. Like it totally made sense. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense that you'd want to be a provider. But then hearing it, him say it for some reason was really weird to me. Mm. I was like, that's such a, like, like provider. It's not a job title. It's kind of an archetype, I guess. I don't know. It was just kind it's of funny. It's a state to me. of being. No. State of being. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, to be a provider, does that mean that I have to be provided for? Yeah. For that's instance, honest. I think that generated that question fun. for me. It was like, 
could I also be more self-reliant, but you would feel like a provider? Like, I don't know. It was, it was kind of funny to think about at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the, the next one that maybe goes a little bit related to that is number six, men's respect for women. So this is refraining from violence against women oh, and, thank God. and actively challenging <laughs> norms and other men who are sexist or violent and mm. sharing in parenting responsibilities and recognizing the important contributions of both mother and father. Yeah. Again, it was a little bit like, so <laughs> don't be so gendered about the way you approach your family. Mm. And, but I, I guess I get it that they're trying to look for like, well, within traditional masculinity, there is this respect for women, but I think it can also be problematic because it leads us to the whole chivalry thing of, of like, course. yes, chivalry might sound well and good if you don't think about it too hard, but then it is kind of based in this idea that women can't take care of themselves or they're less than, or, you know, that you have to provide for them and kind of be the one to set the, rules and they can't function okay. without you but if we're in this new pro pum pum paradigm sorry became carol of the drums <laughs> yeah. yeah where it where gosh what am i even trying to say I, but basically this idea uh, of if we kind of flip things on their head and it's like we associate a man who is very respectful of women as more of a man we see him as more of a man mm-hmm. and we see that as more of a good thing potentially yeah that could be good yeah i, mean, I could get behind that yeah <laughs> yeah for i'm sure. trying to okay i'm just yeah, trying no, to that's understand great. yeah yeah um okay the next one is male courage daring and risk-taking so facing peril to protect loved Whoa. ones it is like an action movie you're right seriously <laughs> doing dangerous jobs that need doing like jumping out of an airplane pushing yourself to the limit in athletic competitions what how is that gonna do anything i mean i guess just it's yeah. cool <laughs> and then here's the fun caveat with this it's like but also the ability to distinguish between sensible risks and reckless ones so again it's well, this like, like it's good i guess but it has to have this caveat. My mother used to tell me I wasn't a big enough risk taker, which I think is complete bullshit. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. But she used to be like, I'm such a risk taker. You're not. And I'm like, wow. Jeez, mom. I know. I don't think it is at all. I live in Los Angeles. Damn it. That's a big risk right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but that's interesting. Yeah. That like men are supposed to be risk takers. I guess. Yeah. Like they go into a high powered job and throw their money around or whatever. I don't know. I'm just trying to think like what the, the old idea well, of what it, this it makes me mean. think specifically of military service. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. That that's, that's the association I think with this. It's yeah. like, yeah, men are the ones who we send to the front lines. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you not- know, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff involved in that too. That's potentially yeah. problematic, but Again, I guess we're trying to look for within traditional masculinity, what could we find that's positive? Hmm. I guess this. Hmm. I still don't know. I also, I don't know. It's weird. It, it it just feels, it's challenging to me to just put all of that into men. Um, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, but like when it comes to like athletic competition and things like that, where it's just like to associate that with men feels weird because like I know athletic women who you know yeah. could run laps around most men, yeah, like who, our who, friend Liz, you know, yeah. who aren't Olympic athletes, right? Totally. But it's yeah. like we have this weird idea that like, oh, but that's what men are. When it's just it's more people individual, yeah, yeah. totally. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. Number eight is group orientation of boys and men, not to be. Uh, confused with boys, two men, the, uh, <laughs> the little known group. No, <laughs> little known. But, gosh. No, I'm kidding. They're, they're very famous. Um, so tend to value groups and do more group activities as a poor, uh, as opposed to more dyadic activity, dyadic. Did I say that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Activities yeah. that women engage in. Wow. Uh, yeah. What? Well, so this is now, okay. Interesting, here, but here's right? the thing. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to give my same feedback of like, this seems like it's just a neutral, a neutral observation. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but like, I feel like it's chicken egg and egg here is like, are, 
are men more inclined toward group oriented activities because like that's an inherent sports? thing or is it because there's more consequences for being perceived to be like too close to another man within a dyad i think oh, that's a great question that's interesting you yeah. know yeah. and so that's why it's safer like it's safer if it's six of us going out to the movies as opposed to two of us just, just me and going one guy out to the friend, movies. Then everyone's gonna and then we weird. have to sit yeah. with a seat in the middle between us i guess that's a thing that right i've heard some men I, to take part really? in um really I oh yeah i'm not, not yeah. familiar with that one yeah wow. i've heard some male friends tell me about like if they're going to the movies with just one other guy friend like you put a seat in between the two of you <laughs> boy that's provided provided there's room in the theater for that but i suppose um, yeah yeah wow interesting wow mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah groups and do more group <laughs> activities yeah i am wondering like what are those group activities of which they speak because well, the examples they give is athletic teams yeah teams. things like the boy scouts or work crews there's or social scouts. groups yeah i know and it's but that like women can go like go to brunch together and get their nails done and stuff i don't know yeah i wonder if if just that only actually, together and it's it not is weird it does beg the question of like is there something in our society that limits women from doing more social activities like that we train them not to or is it just that we've taught men to not hang out one-on-one with other men interesting mm. those are both interesting questions that yeah. we don't have answers to right now <sighs> yeah yeah. So, okay. The next one is male forms of service, mentoring and creating male charity groups like the Shriners or 100 Black Men of America. Yeah. I mean, these are great. And I do, I do, I have heard like of men uh, going and mentoring at groups like these, mm-hmm. and it does seem rather masculine. But I think, again, those are in these like good ways with the intention of, spreading like positive masculinity to young people and to the masses, which mm-hmm. is really, really good. What, Dedeker? See, it just makes me think of like, you know, Moose Lodge, Elks Lodge, yeah. whatever other kind of animal, which to me, <laughs> I realize this is probably very Moose. inaccurate. I have not read up on the Moose Lodge or the Elks Lodge or other <laughs> other groups such as this because I never thought that they applied to me. Um, uh-huh. Uh, but I just now. perceive them as like boys clubs to get away from the freaking wife and kids at home. Well, and I think that that is my impression of the Elks Lodge too, which I think is why they didn't give that one as an example uh, in this. Okay. I mean, it, did you see that episode of John Oliver where all of the guys on Father's Day, like they were asking like, well, what do you want for Father's Day? And like every single one of them were like, we, I just, I want time to myself to like sit there, play video games or like watch TV in a dark room by myself away from the kids and the the wife. I want to to forget that I'm a father. No, exactly. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) good Lord. Wow. I don't know. I think I've heard plenty of women specifically around Mother's Day kind of give similar things. Really? like yeah. i want please get the like, hell I want away someone from else me. to clean the bathroom and i want someone else to put the kids to bed and yep. i want no one to come bother me so uh, to be fair i think women i think that's maybe that more too. just parenthood in general it's like you, you want time <laughs> yeah. to yourself and you don't ever get it yeah <laughs> i guess that makes sense fascinating mm-hmm. all right last okay. two well, last two so men's use of humor this is interesting um humor to build intimacy and friendships as well as using it to cope with stress and illness now i will say yes okay yes um I will say that this is also, I think, a larger systemic thing where men have been allowed to be humorous more so than women have. Yeah. Um, Marver- you know, Mar- Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> That's like the first, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel show is like the first woman who was a stand-up comedian. But you do think right. of like stand-up comedy as like a boys club. Right. Yeah. And we could, again... This this topic is just generating so many other topics to go down the rabbit hole <laughs> yes. on. Um, but I also read a study once where they were saying that like definitions of whether someone has a good sense of humor or not is different between men and women. Mm. That yeah. we define a man with a good sense of humor as someone who can make people laugh, and we define a woman with a good sense of humor as as someone who laughs as a woman who laughs at the man's jokes. <laughs> essentially you know if a woman is the one making the jokes we're less likely to say that she has a good sense of humor um i think i'm very funny considering how much we (laughs) lose our shit laughing at emily's jokes i think uh 
That, that makes you all have a that. good sense, of, have humor. A good sense of humor. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's true. That it, like I guess we do tend to associate that it's like, oh, well, the funny ones, the class clown is going to be a man. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it is funny because I feel like my little sister is very much like the class clown archetype, or at least was when she was younger. Interesting. But we don't yeah. reward women and girls for that Yeah, the way that we tend to reward men. I mean, I always... I always kind of rolled my eyes at those boys in class. So maybe I don't identify with that one, but yes, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one is male heroism. So the tradition of uh, using heroic actions to serve others. It looks like in the study, they mentioned people like Lincoln, MLK, Nelson Mandela, Harvey Milk as examples. Yeah. Those are some heroes. Those are some heroic men. When I looked down at this list for a moment, I thought that it said Lin-Manuel Miranda. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, I mean, yes, <laughs> because it was just like a lot of M's. But yeah, oh, oh boy, uh-huh. yeah, goodness. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but women are heroic too. Look at uh, Harriet Tubman, like oh, so for many, sure. yes, so and, many people. And I guess again, I I had to remind myself over and over again, and I find all of us going here is the point of this list isn't to say these are things that are uniquely masculine, yeah, but that these are things that still fit with traditional masculinity, but that are positive. Mm-hmm. So there it is for, for, for what it's worth. Um, the, the funny thing is in this, so after the pages where they went through this list, there was then like a couple pages of caveats oh, <laughs> to all wow. of it. Oh, uh, such as a lot of the stuff that we've been saying, that we've been pointing out to. Um, so it is, it's, I think this is still a field that can use some work and it'll be interesting to see kind of how it develops over time. Um, and if I think specifically in positive psychology, the benefit of it is seen from the fact that like positive psychology is about developing what they call interventions, which are, you know, things to do like the, the thing we've talked about before of like writing down three things that went well today and why Mm. that's an intervention. That's, that's the term for that type of thing. It's a thing you can do to try to get a certain result, to try to move away from the negative results and toward the positive ones. Um, and that in positive psychology, what you study is, can we then make interventions out of this? And are those effective? Like, are those measurably effective? So I think this will be interesting to see kind of where they're able to go with this. And, um, you know, if, if there's ways to do that, I would hope in a way that, doesn't immediately foster as much like you're destroying masculinity and as much resistance from a large segment of the population. Mm. So that, that would be my hope, I guess, for this. Um, speaking of, of serving, helping. <laughs> of helping men, uh, this question of, you know, what can be done to help masculine identified people? Before you even go further, I yeah. want to ask more about the question itself, which is, mm helping mm, and sure. what does helping mean uh, does... because they're self-reliant they don't need our help <laughs> well <laughs> they don't need no our help. <laughs> okay <laughs> well I'm no, sorry, I'm my joking. question is like does that entail providing new models of masculinity does it entail taking a list like this of like hey here are some of the positive traits to be found in traditional masculinity and here's what it may look like if some of these get out of hand or too extreme. And is it creating more of a dialogue around that of like, no, 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 we can embrace masculinity as it is. We just got to start making this distinction between, you know, what's a healthy range and what's an extreme range. Is it encouraging masculine identified people to embrace more femininity? Like, like, or is it all of the above? You know, you get, maybe my question's a little bit confusing, but I just really want to drill into what does helping mean? Yeah, I think that question is the question that I think people are trying to answer. And that is something that I personally think about a lot. And I'm like, what, what is the answer? What can we be doing? Uh, and I mean, like with everything, it's probably a mix of all of those. But I think an interesting thought that I've had is if we think about this list of traits, right? Like in all these studies, they're always looking at traits, you know, Mm -hmm. do people view this as more masculine or more feminine? Do people view this as positive or negative, that sort of thing. And the way that the studies tend to identify whether something is masculine or feminine is simply by asking people, Mm -hmm. right? Be like, 
do you see this more as one or the other or looking at how they use it? Is this because word used more? Because it's a construct. More? Well, yes. And I think that's the interesting thing is I, I keep asking myself the question, like the first question is, why are these associated with gender at all? Mm. Like, why is this list like this, even this list of 11 things that we were like, a lot of these aren't specifically masculine. And if you look at other lists of, of masculine traits, like positive masculine traits, like, why is it necessarily that something like being a provider has to go along with the idea of also being um, more like physically aggressive hmm. or why does being honorable have to be associated with being a leader or, you know what I mean? Like we associate these things together because we think of them as masculine traits. And then, you know, on the list of feminine traits, again, these are from, you know, from various studies, I just kind of made lists here of these things. It's like, why do we necessarily have to associate beauty with also being compassionate Right. Like, why are those both considered feminine traits or why is caring and multitasking both considered feminine traits? And it's just like, wh why? Mm. What if they were different? What if we lived in this alternate universe where some of these traits were swippy swapped around? Swippy. Swappy. You know what I mean? It's like it, there was this sort of thing where it's like we can't separate which traits have to go together and which ones don't. And then I guess the question of like, if it were more, if you thought of it more a la carte, as opposed to like, if I take these feminine traits, it means I'm not masculine anymore. Mm. But instead, if you're like, let me just look at all the options on the menu and pick the ones that will make me the best person. Isn't that what we tell people to do in relationships in general? <laughs> right. Same kind so of thing. All, it all comes together. Here. Yes, indeed. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the point here. But yeah. okay. So there was this really amazing website that you showed us. Yeah. Um, that it go to it everyone if you if you want to see like just an exquisite display of like how integrated like this can good, be a like, well formatted research website yeah exactly yeah. about words and how they are correlated to like either men or women and like by how much using really cool graphics yeah and that's that's at pew social trends that's pew like p-e-w like pew pew, pew, pew. yeah PewSocialTrends.org. Hey, hang on. Before before you dive into this yeah. just a little bit too long URL, we can drop <laughs> it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll drop it in the show notes. But I was just going to say it's called Strong Men Caring Women. If you just want to okay. Google it. PewSocialTrends.org slash interactive slash strong men. That's what we were trying to avoid. No, no, we were trying to avoid this. Okay. Strong Men Caring Women, Pew Social Trends. Look it up. Cool. Okay. So on this little interactive website, it talked about descriptors, descriptors used for men, for women, and then kind of more how neutral ones, negative how positive are, and negative. Yeah. yeah. So among those, there were some descriptors used only for men. The positive descriptors included protective, provider, and honorable, which <laughs> kind of go along with the lists that we list that we read earlier right and the negative violent emotional which is interesting emotional um sexism abusive feeling and vulnerable feeling like that's a negative one and emotional right and it's interesting and that, vulnerable that feeling and emotional were both used primarily to describe men in a negative way yeah which was was surprising to me. Yeah. Well, I see that that implies two different things. You could see it as, yeah, like men are supposed to be cut off from their emotions and not driven by their emotions. And so an emotional man is inherently a negative man or, you know, a negative, negatively perceived man. man. Yeah. Or is it that when we think emotional man, the only emotion that we really associate with men is anger. And mm, so emotional an comes to yeah. mean actually angry man, um, mm. as opposed to a sad man or a happy man or whatever it is. And so that's why it gets the negative association. I wonder. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think, yeah, that <clears throat> when, when men get emotional, often the only way they feel they can express it is anger. I could see thinking, well, an emotional man is a dangerous man. So yeah, that, that's where bad. my head goes yeah, to is that often if I, if I think of the image of an emotional man, um, with the exception of Jace, I think of, <laughs> I think of like an angry dude who's out of control. Mm. And That's interesting. I hadn't even considered yeah. that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 Jace, you're just a also, cancer and you're just emotional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And we love him for it. Yeah. So let's talk about the descriptors that was used only for women. Um, 
So the positive descriptive words were multitasking, uh, which I'm just... We're all going to shake our head at that one. I'm just, if I could roll my eyes any harder. Um, Multitasking, brain. Just brain. brain. Not brainy. (laughs) Brain. Just brain. Beautiful, maternal. There was actually a neutral descriptor, which was independent. That's really interesting. Independent kind of split the difference between these two. And then the negative descriptors for women were dependent, outspoken, and promiscuous. Of course. Natch. Now, this is just a summary here, but there were actually hundreds of words in this study. But these were just kind of some of the the standouts that they pointed out here. Um, And then, um, so caring and compassionate were neutral or negative for men, but were positive for women. So those were Mm -hmm. interesting, too, that that we don't view those or at least the people in this study, which was a large study, um, tended to view those as positive traits for women, but more negative for men. And then on the flip side of that, the word strong was viewed kind of neutral for women or about 50 50 people thought it was a good thing or a bad thing. But for men, strong was almost always a positive term. So basically what I did here was like we were talking about earlier is I kind of just put these together, both the positives and negatives uh, of this list. We just went and said, well, what if it was this a la carte menu where we got to pick and choose? And like you were both teasing me earlier about being emotional and saying, oh, it's because I'm a cancer and making that sort of joke. The truth is, though, that it's not because I wasn't for a long time. You weren't a cancer? I wasn't emotional. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> also became a cancer. Yeah. Um, my birthday, my birthday changed. Changed. <laughs> We yeah. realized we hadn't factored in leap years and uh, yeah. dang it. Um, That's no, not true. Uh, but yeah, just that I wasn't emotional at all. I, mm. I remember growing up noticing at one point that I cried once a year. Huh. That that, that was it. And this was like in, in high school and college. I, is when now I you kind cry of... once a day. No, I'm <laughs> not, not quite. And also, Jace, we're not teasing you. Yeah. I love it. No, personally. it's great. It's good. It's impressive. Yeah. But I, I, what I'm getting at, though, is that this was something that I did have to learn. I essentially at, at one point was presented with the idea that like, hey, this is a trait that you can do and you can have if you want, like not crying all the time, but like being able to connect emotionally, being able to feel emotions and not kind of wall everything off was until, there, it, until it spills over in, in anger or something like that. Was there like a moment of awakening of that for you? It was a little bit more of a gradual process okay. for me. Um, but specifically Steve Easton's acting class Ugh. was what sort of taught me ways to go about doing that. Yeah. Um, so that, that was actually really uh, a, a significant time in my life of kind mm. of learning how to have some feelings. And then there were also some, uh, like physical work that I had done for my sciatica that I think also kind of unlocked a little bit more like connection to my physical feeling of emotions. Nice. But it was this idea of like, Hey, this is a trait I would like to have. And I'm not going to say I can't because I'm a man, but like, Hey, I- I'm going to have this trait. So why don't I pull some of that? And then kind of looking at it and going, Hmm, here's a a trait that I don't think so great about men, which is tending toward violence. It's like, okay, how about I try pruning that one a little bit and kind of minimizing this. And I think that, I think men who get really defensive about any sort of analysis of gender roles or any sort of challenging of traditional masculinity, I I just, I kind of want to be like, why would you want to limit yourself? Hmm to only being able to be good at these things and only, and having to have these potentially negative traits, even if you saw them all as positive, even if you saw like being sexist and violent as positive traits, which we have some other issues to talk about. But even if you did, you're still saying like, why limit yourself? Why be like, these are the only things I can be good at. Mm. And it just, it kind of feels like a cop out. It's like, oh, well then I'm off the hook for doing any, any work on myself maybe. Because I can't. Or, oh, those things aren't for me. I don't have to do those. I don't know. But it just seems like if you really want to empower people, say, hey, you get to choose from the whole menu here. You get to kind of custom make the person that you are. Yeah. I like that idea. 
That's lovely. Yeah. No, I like that image a lot. Mm-hmm. Should I bring us to some closing thoughts? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Closing I kind prayer, of started going into those already. Were. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Love it. So, okay. Maybe you're listening to this and maybe your sex or your gender is a really important part of your identity and how you function day to day. Or maybe it's not. Or maybe it's fluid. Or maybe it's something you have a bunch of questions about or that you're actively questioning right now. In either case, especially if you are cisgender, learning to hold on to that identity less tightly or maybe less rigidly It can not only lead to a healthier look at yourself, but it can sometimes make you feel like you can tap into these superpowers of being able to change and do things. uh, I'm just going to read what's written here and do things that mere mortal men cannot. (laughs) I'm assuming you said mortal men intentionally there. Um, I mean, I was just sort of being cheeky. um, Okay. But but also I feel like that's kind of in this a la carte thing. It's sort Mm -hmm. of like if you're a man who doesn't need to like tie your whole identity to whether or not you live up to these certain arbitrary traits, it can be like a superpower, you know, where it is, for example, I mean, this is terrible, but it still exists, but like calling another man a sissy or saying that he's gay or something to mean that you're weak or that you're somehow less than because of something that you did I know that those sorts of quote insults are the things that can really hurt guys Mm. that, that a lot of men are very upset if someone says something like that to them. And I think that letting, letting your grip on masculinity be a little looser where even if you're still like, yeah, this is still my identity, but it's not that like white knuckle. God, I have to hold onto it. So someone can't take it from me. Someone can say something like that to you. And it's just like, huh? All right. It's like a superpower. It's like you gain this invulnerability. Uh, and that's just one like small example, but, yeah. but that mere mortal men cannot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And as you said as well, like all of those things that we talked about today, including like things that are inherently or that people think of as inherently masculine or inherently feminine, instead of like just sticking those in two boxes and saying that's all that they are and that's who they are for. Um, instead, if we can just kind of empower people to really develop as many of all of those traits as possible and kind of minimize the negative ones in mm-hmm. addition, or at least kind of like find a balance between all of those. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, when I think of some of the best people in my life, they are those who blur those lines of like what traditional mm. anything means. I love and, that. Yeah. Yeah. And just they tend to be like good people in a sense of what I think of a good person as being you know is <laughs> right and that they they don't embody like necessarily like oh they're a woman so they're very nurturing and that means they're a good woman or they're a guy and they're really an amazing provider and so they're you know a good guy it, but rather just that they're a good person and they can embody all of those things yeah yeah and maybe even like looking at it of like which ones are right for you yeah rather than absolutely. based on the gender that you identify with Absolutely. But just like, but which of these traits work for me? Which of these traits do I think make the best me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who are interested in the way that we teach this to children, I do have a little recommendation. Um, and that is that Jonathan Branfman, who we played a little bit of earlier and who we're going to hear a little bit more from in the bonus content, um, with a co-writer, he put together a children's book called UBU, The Kid's Guide to Gender, Sexuality, mm-hmm. and Family. It's a book that helps kids 7 to 12 years old understand LGBTQIA diversity plus discrimination, privilege, and allyship. And you can find that, uh, more info about it, at jonathanbranfman.com. That's B-R-A-N-F-M-A-N. And uh, like I said, you can hear more of him in our bonus content for this. Uh, And the book's been translated into a zillion languages. That's great. So even if English is not your first language, I personally have a copy of it in English and I have a copy in Japanese, Um, but it's also published in a ton of other languages. Definitely worth checking out. I highly recommend it. And we would love to hear from you. What resources have you found? What things in this episode did you find challenging? What things did you go, yeah, that? Uh, You know, what's been your experience in 
looking at gender identities and masculinity and femininity, we would love to hear from you. And we have a place for you to share your thoughts with other listeners. And that is in this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group and our private channel in our Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can leave us an email at info at multiamory.com, a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-0-5. Whoa, I went really high there. No, that was cool. I liked it. Or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.